You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Flying solo on ESPN New York Tonight, taking you up until midnight tonight. Of course, the number, you know it, 1-800-919-ESPN. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Newly verified on Twitter. To which Jake Montgomery still shakes his fist at me. You darn old man, how dare you? But most importantly, you can find me on your uh, radio right here uh, until midnight tonight. So we got a ton to get into, including, you know, sometimes you do a show, you think, okay, this is what the story of the day is. And Brian Cashman certainly has been the story of the day. And we are going to get into Brian Cashman. But the worst kind of news that any Met fan can get. The baseball season, the starting line is in sight. It is a week away. A date that we didn't know necessarily not that long ago when it was going to be between the lockout and everything going on. But now the starting line is in sight. And Met fans are excited for the season. The moves made by their owner going out and spending money. And what is the main thing about the Mets to get Mets fans excited? The combination of Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer leading off that rotation. So what could be the worst kind of news? What could be the worst possible news that Met fans could hear? Jacob deGrom has a tight right shoulder, according to Buck Showalter. He will likely be scratched from his scheduled start tomorrow and will likely go for tests. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you can get rid of that likely. He is going to be scratched from his start tomorrow and almost certainly go for test. And this is, this is not the new. And, you know, I had to – I think I brought this up with Larry on the air. After his first start, the back pages sigh of relief. DeGrom looks great. And I'm thinking to myself, for all the problems this guy had last year, it's just one start. One start in spring training is enough to make everybody kind of forget what happened last year. I've said it before. I will say it again. And I don't know. Let's hope. Let's hope. Even as a Yankee fan, I'm hoping that DeGrom is going to be okay because I love the stars of the game to shine. And he is by far one of the stars of the game. And last year, it was a disaster. I mean, I think people even forget just how much of a roller coaster. I mean, he was hurt constantly last year, missing starts, leaving starts early. He had one start where he threw 100 pitches last year. He did not pitch after July 7th. And it wasn't like he found, doctors found something and it got fixed. It just went away. And I think it went away because he wasn't pitching. And now that he's pitching again, all of a sudden something pops up again. There is no, given the importance that he has to his team and what his team's expectations are, there are no, there's no player in Major League Baseball right now who is more risky than Jacob DeGrom. None. And the fact that you're getting this news even before the season starts, again, maybe it just turns out to be ordinary kind of soreness that you get after having a long layoff like he had last year, and maybe everything's going to be fine and he'll get some rest. But it kind of feels like deja vu all over again. It feels like here we go again with another season where the guy who has the mantle of the best pitcher in baseball 
is not going to be the best pitcher in baseball because he's not going to be pitching. So that has, that has to have Met fans very, very concerned. And I guess if you want to try and find the silver lining, it's better to happen now than during the season. But after the season that he had last year, where really from May on, it was constantly one thing. Is he going to come back? When is he going to come back? Is he going to stay back? And he came back, and then he left again. And then he came back, and then he left again. And now, even before we get to the uh, opening day, to have another health concern with Jacob deGrom, it has to have Met fans worried. It has to have the Mets worried. So we'll get into that over the course of the show here. Uh, NFL win totals are out. And I took a look. One team, really only one, jumps out at you as soon as you look at these win totals. And if, if this win total is not way off, there are going to be major problems. So I'll tell you what team that is coming up. Obviously, second hour, we'll do the uh, March movie Mayhem. Final two spots in the Elite Eight. I got some thoughts, obviously, on uh, Julius Randle. I got some thoughts on Ben Simmons. The great Nets game tonight goes down to the wire. So we'll get into that. And I even, I even have some thoughts on the World Cup. I made a little fun of the World Cup last night. But, you know, after the show was over, there is one thing that the World Cup does better than anyone else. So we'll dive into that, too, over the course of these next couple of hours. But let's get into it. Let's focus on what the story of the day has been. And that, of course, is Brian Cashman speaking to The Athletic about the upcoming season. He was asked about the Yankees championship drought, have not won a World Series since 2009, And while the season is long and it's unpredictable, the feeling overall is not great right now within the Yankee fandom. I don't get the sense that there's a lot of optimism after what the expectations were of the offseason. The way the last season ended, the expectations for the offseason, the moves that were actually made, and now gearing up, looking at your roster, thinking to yourself, still seems there's a lot of questions around. So Brian Cashman was asked about the championship drought. And this was his response, direct quote. The only thing that stopped the 2017 Yankees was something that was so illegal and horrific. So I get offended when I start hearing we haven't been to the World Series since 09. Because I'm like, well, I think we actually did it the right way. We pulled it down. We brought it back up. Drafted well, traded well, developed well, signed well. The only thing that derailed us was a cheating circumstance that threw us off. So obviously a lot of people are going to have a reaction to that, uh, that, those comments. But I think that most people have kind of missed the very first thing that should jump out to everyone. Did you see what Brian Cashman did? He did the bait and switch. The question was about the Yankees' championship drought. But he answered the question and threw out the straw man of, of someone saying, well, you know, when I hear people saying we haven't been to the World Series since 2009. He did the bait and switch. Look, you listen to sports talk radio. Do you hear a lot of people, call, when we focus on the Yankees, do you hear a lot of people calling up saying, hey, I'm upset the Yankees haven't been to the World Series since 2009? Or is it that the Yankees haven't won a World Series? The goal is not to get to the World Series. Maybe it is for some teams. But the goal is to win the World Series. I feel like I'm like Jerry Seinfeld. It really is the most important part of the World Series. The winning of the World Series. Anybody can just get them. Yeah, that, nobody's upset that you haven't been 
It's that you haven't won one. Nobody would be satisfied if the Yankees got to a World Series. So I like what he did there. He did the little bait and switch. He took the question, changed it just enough, and yet even in the process of changing it, still sounds completely delusional. I cannot remember. Brian Cashman has been the Yankee GM for the better part of 25 years. And I can tell you, as someone who has listened to countless interviews, and as someone who works in radio, whose job it has been to take those press conferences and break down the sound bites into usable cuts for the air, for updates, for, for shows, listening to a Brian Ka- Pat Cashman press conference, it's not exactly the most entertaining thing, people. It's not, he is not uh, excitement personified. And a lot of times, he will not really, he'll say a whole lot, but he won't tell you anything. So for him to actually share his thoughts, and these are the thoughts, oh my goodness, because these thoughts are preposterous. They're absolutely preposterous, the things that he is saying. The only thing that stopped the Yankees in 2017 was something so illegal and so hard. Well, that was uh, what the Astros did was illegal, if you want to use the word horrific. But that's not really what stopped the 2017 Yankees. And I would simply ask, if we're talking about the championship drought, what about all the other years? What about all the other years? And maybe you would have something to hang on to. I don't even think then, but let's just kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. If you had gotten something since 2017, but since 2017, you haven't gotten as close as 2017. So in 2017, when you're going up against this horrific illegal thing, at least you got to within a game of the World Series. But since then, you've been to the ALCS, what, once? You lost in six games, so not quite as good. You were down 3-1 in that series. You lost in the division series twice. Last year, you lost in the wild card game. Brian Cashman's comments are so preposterous. In a way, they make me defend the Astros. And I hate the Astros. That's how outrageous and outlandish and just not based on anything on planet Earth. What are you talking about? You know, we always ask for an interview situations. Well, just be honest. I got to be honest. I think I'd rather have Brian Cashman lie to me. Lie to me. I would rather you lie to my face. Much like when, when Michael, K, uh, Michael K came out and said, well, it wasn't that the Yankees lost out on the free agents. They didn't want them. I need less truth in my life. Honesty is not always the best policy. And if these are Brian Cashman's honest thoughts, honesty is certainly not the best policy. Oh my God. These are so bad. Such whining excuse making comments that, that just kind of completely circumvent the actual truth. You know, for all the, the, the horribleness of the Astros cheating scandal, which they absolutely did. You know, there's no evidence that they did it in the playoffs. None. None. We've not found any evidence, no one has, of them banging the... Now, maybe they were using something else. Once a cheater, always a cheater. But the problem with the 2017 2017 Yankees, we all know it. It was their offense. 
They blew a 3-2 lead. They scored one run in two games, and I ran the numbers. In the last two games, they went 10 for 60 with 21 strikeouts. And it's not like 2017 was unique. Since 2017, what has been the Yankees' primary problem in the postseason? The offense. It's always the offense. It's not so much the pitching. It's not so much the defense. It's not so much the bullpen. Now, there have been, you know, certain circumstances where those things pop up. But the one consistent factor, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, generally has been now 2021. They only had the one game. But it's primarily the offense. 2018, in the three losses they had to the Red Sox, they scored eight games in three losses. 2019, anyone not named LeMahieu, Torres, or Stanton basically did nothing. I mean, Cashman is spinning so hard, he must be lathered in spider tech. 2009 is 12 years ago. How much money have the Yankees spent in those dozen years? It's got to be in the billions, right? You either make progress or you make excuses. And this is some of the worst excuse-making on a, on a, on a big-time stage that we have ever seen. This is the type of thing where if he was saying it with his inside voice, it would be bad. It's bad enough if he had said this to a fan on the street and somebody just happened to have a camera rolling and they caught Brian Cashman making these comments, it would be like, oh, my God. That's a, but, you know, it's a private conversation. This is something he said in an interview. This is a point that he wanted to make. Brian Cashman, for all the, the criticism you have about moves or trades or this thing or that thing, he's a smart guy. He's able to talk his way into and out of questions very nimbly without giving you all that much information. So this is something that clearly he believes, clearly he wanted to get across, and the argument, oh my God, it's so weak. It's exit velo, got it sent down to the minors. I mean, it is so bad, so bad. And again, the comments are so preposterous, it actually makes Yankee fans hate the Yankees. I've heard more, I've heard more criticism of these comments from Yankee fans than I've heard from other people. And trust me, the other people are jumping on the bandwagon as well because when you're the Yankees, you're never going to be the underdog. You're never gonna. You're never gonna get the. You're never gonna be able to play the sympathy card. And the thing is, with Brian Cashman, he only has himself to blame. People, he only has. This is his team. This is his manager. This is his philosophy. He's the one who said it's a fully operational Death Star, and I want to win championships, not championship. So I just have to wonder, what did Brian Cashman think he was going to get across? Because he's usually the one that says absolutely nothing. And, and again, these comments, they are so bad, I, I, I kind of wish Brian Cashman was more like Leon Rose. Better to say nothing. These are the Dave Gettleman of comments. They're that bad. They're that bad. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. So coming up, we'll get some phone calls involved. Uh, we'll we'll kind of dive more into just the deranged comments of Brian Cashman that make absolutely no sense. And they're just factually wrong. Just factually wrong. Not even the opinion part of it. The actual facts that he's, he's touting, they're just incorrect on just about every level. We'll focus in on Jacob deGrom as well with the stuff being, uh, that he's being scratched. That is not good news, and that should be a major alarm bell for Met fans. You are listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast on 98.7 ESPN. 
This might be the single biggest game in the history of like rivalries. Think about every rival. Generally, you don't have a rivalry that ends in a championship, right? And this one is not going to end in a championship. But all the different angles of North Carolina Duke, first matchup in the NCAA tournament ever. It can end Mike Krzyzewski's career with his retirement. And it puts you on the precipice of just an unbelievable championship that you probably never really, I mean, you were an eight seed coming in. Maybe you think you catch fire, you get to, you know, maybe you make it to the the first weekend, maybe a Final Four. But this is probably the most unexpected possible championship that North Carolina has ever had. So uh, my teams, they're not, um, it's almost hard to compare it to anything else because like if it's a, if it's a series, well, then you're going to play a series of games. This is just one and done. So it is absolutely fascinating. So I can understand, Larry, you, you need to get in the bunker. You need to get in the sports bunker for something like this. You got to cut off all contact with the outside world and just focus on what you got to focus on. And look, if you lose this game, you got to stay in the bunker. There's no other way to put it. All right. So 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. I was thinking about during the break, Brian Cashman saying about the Yankees, the champion. It was just derailed by that one cheating scandal. You remember the one five years ago? Well, I mean, that excuse is so weak. If your kids came to you with an excuse like that, you would laugh it off. And you tell them, you know, get back to what have you been doing otherwise? Well, I, I can't work on the homework. I don't have my pencil. Well, go get a pen from the drawer in the kitchen. Oh, such a weak excuse. Think about the teams that have been to the World Series since the Yankees have. The Tigers have been to the World Series more recently than the Yankees. The Royals have won a World Series more recently than the Yankees. The, Ra- the Texas Rangers have been to a World Series more recently than the Yankees. I don't even think it's really a stretch to say that in the 24 years, 25 years that Brian Cashman's been the GM, I don't think he's, there's ever been a time he said anything more deranged than this and more wrong. You know, talking about the farm system, how great the Yankee farm system is, how they drafted well. <laughs> they did draft Garrett Cole at a time. They didn't get him to sign, but they did draft him at a time. That's nice. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go to uh, Jay is in Hollis. Jay, you're first up on ESPN New York tonight, Jay. Gordon Damer, how are you, sir? I'm good, Jay. What's going on, pal? Trivia champion. <laughs> yes, I'm so good at trivia. Yes, I'm master. <laughs> Listen, uh, before I get to my point, it, yes. it, 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 I'm, I'm going to take it off a, take it off the rails a little bit. It's a met point, but before I get there, what Brian Cashman said today was so dumb. Passing the buck was so dumb. Imagine if, <laughs> imagine if Bill Cosby would have said something like that. Like, hey, yeah, Your Honor, I was just uh, um, uh, conducting a social experiment. They came on to me. That's how stupid that sounds. Well, I don't look. The Bill Cosby stuff is very, very serious. I don't like to go there, but uh, yeah, look, it's. Uh, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the cut of Billy Madison, like when they're doing the game show at the end. What you said is so ridiculous. God have mercy on all of our souls. That's how. That's how bad what Brian Cashman had to say was. So and 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 the offshoot of it is like I'm trying to th- I was trying to think like why would he say that out of all the things for him to say why would he say this why would he go there and and maybe it is possible that he's kind of trying uh, again 
whatever benefit he thought he was going to get out of this, obviously he's not going to get out of it. No, Yankee fans are not going to be sympathetic to these comments. Non-Yankee fans are not going to be sympathetic to these comments at all. So I don't know what he was trying to gain, but, but is it possible that maybe he thought that he's got to kind of win the, the public relations battle for inside the, the organization? I, I don't know. I don't know what is to be gained from the comments that he made because they just they just don't make any sense. From before, two th- before 2017 to after 2017, I mean, it's not like 2017 was yesterday. It's five years ago. It's literally five years ago. And uh, the amount, there was not a period where you knew going in, well, you know, the Yankees are not going to be able to compete this year. They're going to have to kind of tear things down again and build things back up. And that's the thing about 2017. I don't think even the Yankees thought that 2017 could come together as quickly as he did. And, and the moves that they've made since 2017, the Stanton move was supposed to kind of put them over the top. It has not. He's performed at times. He's not performed at times. He's been hurt a lot. But that move did not take them from where they were and put them on another level. The Garrett Cole move was supposed to be the final piece of the equation, right? That was supposed to be. They need an ace. They get an ace. They pay top dollar. They did not get a, they did not get a bargain. There was no Groupon involved for Garrett Cole. But they got their ace. That's the move that's going to put them over the top. And it's not. And you can tell me whatever you want. It's hard to believe that if they got to the World Series in 2017, that they were still going to move on from the manager. Does, I mean, that doesn't make any sense either. Now, maybe they would have, but again, it doesn't make any sense. And for whatever you want to say about Aaron Boone, I know he gets crushed a lot of times. Some things he does, uh, you know, kind of annoy me as well. I'm not the biggest fan in the world. There's no way that that move cannot be viewed as a failure. When you get to one game of the World Series, you change the manager. You bring in a new person, a new voice. Why why would you do that? Well, we have this young team, and this new voice is going to be able to unlock the potential of these young stars, the Gary Sanchez's, the Aaron Boone's. uh, Excuse me, the Aaron Judge's. So you bring in Aaron Boone, and there's no way you cannot say that move was a failure. If we went back in time, right? To 2017, after they allow Girardi to, to, to go, well, however you want to phrase them getting rid of Girardi. And you ask the question, in four years from now, you will still not have won a World Series. Is this move a success? Would you still make this? You wouldn't make the move. You would not. You would not hire the person that you hired. So that move has been a failure so far. So I don't know exactly what Brian Cashman had to gain by these comments, but Going where he did and, and the excuse, I mean, this is, I, I can't even find it in a, in a, another example of something that was uh, this hard of, a, 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 of, of whining in we public. suck right now. Yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, last year was the first time that it kind of felt like, even despite all the, I mean, every year there's calls for Cashman's job since really he got the job. But last year was the first time that it felt like maybe there was something that had to change, right? Because the we team did not play right well. Now. Yeah, they sucked right now. So you thought, hey, maybe they're going to get rid of Aaron Boone after the season. Maybe, maybe Brian Cashman's the guy to go because it is his team. I mean, everything on this team is, has Brian Cashman's hand. I mean, he's been here for 25 years. He makes all the decisions. It's his team. 
So um, it's very, very odd. Very, very strange why you would make those comments and, and what he thought he had to gain by them. And I just have to think that maybe he thinks that he's going to win some kind of uh, favor within the organization by pointing out you know, what the Astros did. But to me, I cannot think of another example of a public figure on a, on a big-time stage in an interview, not privately, not comments that were quoted by somebody else, whining to this degree. It's just, it's so weak. It is so weak. Uh, let's go back to the phones. We'll go to uh, Jeff is in Jersey. Jeff, you're next up on ESPN New York tonight. What's going on, Jeff? Hey, what's going on, man? What's going on? What you got? Um, so I got, I'm got. i playing devil's advocate here. Right. I think uh, what he said is obviously wrong, but I think he said it just to take the heat off everybody else, the players, the moves, you know, like to, to go into the season with a fresh start. Everybody's mad at him, not at the moves anymore and not at the players that he's gotten that didn't get. Yeah, but, I mean, the players aren't playing yet, so we're not mad at the players yet. I mean, we're, we're, we are just mad at him for the, ma- for the moves that he made and did not make. So it's already, yeah. it's already he's already taken the, 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 the focus he, there. Everybody's, you know, everybody's saying he didn't do enough and, and uh, the players aren't, aren't going to be good enough. You know, they're not what we wanted. So I, I don't know. I, I think he's just uh, playing a little mind game here. Yeah, I, I think that the mind games are not – they're working even worse than the actual games that the Yankees are playing in October, Jeff. Uh, thanks for the phone call. Yeah, I, I don't know. Look, I get it. You're, you're kind of trying to, to come up with some sort of rationale for it, but maybe they're just not there. Maybe this is – and if this is a view within the organization, boy, that's a scary view that this is, this is where they're still hanging their hats. See, I, I feel like there has to be a motive behind it because, again, the question that was asked was about championship drought, and he immediately changed that to, well, you know, we haven't been to the World Series, but in 2009 we would have been. Again, didn't answer about championship, and he, I think he even admitted later on, well, maybe we wouldn't have beaten the Dodgers. Uh, it's very, very odd comments. There's no other way to put it. Buddha's in the Bronx. Buddha, what's going on, pal? Commissioner Gordon flying solo. What's going on, man? They allow me to take the sh- the uh, the ship solo tonight, so let's hope I don't crash it into an iceberg. Nah, you're doing a good job because uh, you started out with the, the comments. Not only are the comments strange, but um, the time that they were, uh, you know, verbalized those were strange. Just as strange as the analogy to Bill Cosby a few minutes ago. Yeah, well, look, we try to, we try to, that's what I was meaning about keeping the ship from hitting the iceberg, you know? Listen, there's been a lot of strange comments today. I, I would just ask you, you know, do you, if I gave you a 90-game uh, platform, would you take the over or the under for the Yankees did yet? 90 wins? 90 wins. I'd probably still go over. Not by much. Right, now, I don't now, think, that, you know, I don't yeah, think it's yeah. going to be a 100-win team. But, you know, if you're telling me 91, 92, I could see that. So, so basically, you know, no matter what Cashman says or does, if they get to that target, he's coming back next year again. So, you know, we can all get frustrated. We can get mad and rightfully so. But as I said to you a thousand times before, you know, he's not the head of this thing. And, um, you know, until that approach changes, I mean, we're really going to be stuck with the Yankees being, uh, what are going to be? I don't know how many wild cards they got now. But, you know, they're going to be one of those wild cards. They're not winning the division. But, you know, the thing, when I say strange comments, 
you know, I was glad to hear that when y'all guys spoke about Tom Bowles show last night getting the job, I felt good for Tom because, you know, he, he was a bad coach here. It wasn't just only the Jets didn't have talent. You know, Tom Bowles was a little too um, dispassionate, you know, um, not a fiery guy. So when they had veteran teams, they, they had their 10 wins. But as soon as the team became a younger team, you know, he lost the Jets, you know, specifically Jamal Adams, who was, uh, was tarnishing him a thousand times over. But, you know, they use the analogy, or, or the analogy, uh, the, the, the reasoning why uh, Allen stepped down, aside from the fact that he wanted to hook Todd Bowles up, was that he had, you know, him and Brady, they, they don't see things, you know, together philosophically. I just got one question to ask you, though. It's like, when I keep hearing this word about structure and how Tom Brady needed structure, it's similar to, like, LeBron James with Westbrook. If you like structure, you crave structure so much, what in the world would you force the team to bring Antonio Brown in? That Antonio Brown is a structure guy? I mean, come on, man. Like, I can't believe people let that go by, man. Well... I, I, Buddha, thanks for the phone call. I, I think that what the structure is that he wants is whatever he wants. I think what you're seeing now is that the quarterback position has become so important and so overwhelming uh, in terms of your success or your failure that it's almost like quarterbacks are becoming the NBA superstars. Like the top NBA superstars who can kind of call their shots and they kind of run the organization like LeBron and, and Kevin Durant. I think that that's what these quarterbacks have kind of gotten to and who's uh, who's got a better resume to put out there than Tom Brady and had retired. You want me to come back? It, it, look, it just seems it's impossible to believe it does not pass the smell test. This is not the time that a coach walks away from a job. He does not walk away from a job that he, he likes and enjoys and gets along with people. When the quarterback has just re- returned from retirement and they all, you all of a sudden have a chance to win another Super Bowl. So if, 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 if Bruce Arians is being honest that health is not a concern, then the only thing that you can come up with is that there was some sort of power struggle and that he did not win the power struggle. I don't know what other take you can really have on it. You are listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Right now, it is that time, people. Despite you trying to ignore it the best you can, it is time for March Movie Mayhem. On to the Elite Eight. Two spots left. So far, six spots have been been claimed. Pedro Serrano, Mr. Miyagi, Shooter McGavin, Daniel Rudy Rudiger, and then last night, two more spots claimed in the Elite Eight. The number one overall seed. We went into last night saying, Larry and I, it's kind of tough to get a read on who's going to win this. Jake, I think you were talking about it with me. You're not really sure, right? Well, Tony Soprano's not in it, so I know he's not winning. But, uh, yeah, this is a tough one. I like Rocky, but it could go to anyone, I feel like, at this point. Yeah, well, look, Rocky might have heard those comments. He was motivated He was knocking around the big slab of meat because last night Rocky took on Rod Tidwell, and I think Rod Tidwell still has that concussion that knocked him out of the field. Rocky, 92.3% over Rod Tidwell. So Rocky moves on. And then the other spot last night up for grabs, Happy Gilmore, Willie Mays Hayes. It's Happy Gilmore, 72-28. So two Just impressive thrashings last night, but we'll see. Two more spots up for grabs tonight.
It is the final region. So let's get to the number one seed. Our first contender is the number one seed. He is... Remember when Bobby Boucher showed up at halftime and the Bud Dogs won the Bourbon Bowl, do you? Yes, it is Bobby Boucher, the number one seed in region number four, and a strong contender. He will be going up against the number four, who is... After Benny pickled the beast, his reputation spread all over town. From then on, he was known as Benny the Jet Rodriguez. And the nickname stuck with him for the rest of his life. All right, so that's our first matchup of the night. Bobby Boucher versus Benny the Jet for a spot in the Elite Eight. And then the other matchup for tonight, voting on Twitter, at Gordon Damer, is the number two seed in region number four, who is... Juan, a juvenile delinquent in the offseason in his Major League debut. Ball four. Ball eight. Low, and Vaughn has walked the bases loaded on 12 straight pitches. Yes, the wild thing. Ricky Vaughn is the number two seed. He will be going up against someone who's never wild, who is very precise in his movements. The number three seed is... Come on, get your hands up, man. You need an interpreter? It's time to go to school. What an actor. That guy, what, I mean, how did he not win the Academy Award? That, of course, is Ivan Drago. I have to say, Gordon, getting these audio cuts, you know, we talked about how the cursing is kind yes, of an issue. It is. Finding a cut with him actually talking <laughs> yeah, was quite a problem. Yes, you know, if he dies, he dies. Uh, but besides that, there was not much else. But we did find a nice two-second cut of him saying some type of word, so not too bad. Well, here's the thing. Voting is now open on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. Station account will retweet. I'm sure the various uh, people on the show will retweet it as well. So please vote early, often. Get all the burner accounts that you have. We need as many votes as we can get. But I got to tell you, I think that you might have to find another cut of Ivan Drago. I don't think Ivan Drago is done. Now, look. The voting can go any way. We had uh, Forrest Gump making the Sweet 16. So who knows how these deviants out there with Twitter accounts. There's no, unfortunately, not enough people like myself are verified. You know, when you're verified, you've reached a certain status in life. You've, you've reached a certain point where you have a, a taste and, and, and there can be expectations about what you will do with your life. Gordon, why does this feel like a shot? Not just at me, but we have a special guest in the studio tonight. We have Ty D. Butler who's also a not who is a big shot but also not verified on Twitter and it feels like you're kind of coming at us no. with this new verification I, I was I'm surprised to hear that what is Ty doing slumming down here with the ESPN New York crew he's he's DPH and Rothenberg he's the K show he's I mean he's a big time guy well here's the thing Gordon did you do something to somebody no, and so now he, you've gotten banished down here listen we can lift the curtain a little bit uh-huh. Uh, so Dave's off Saturday, and typically okay. when he, he's not here... Right, you, you vacation would, when he vacations. No, 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 oh. no. When he's not here, you fill in. Mm-hmm. And since I saw the schedule makers didn't have it, so I said, you know what? I got to find a way to hang I gotta out. I got to get out of I got to get out of that spot. <laughs> no, I got to find a way to hang out with Gordon Damer at oh, least once I, that, this I don't week. know that that's true, that's but that's very kind. You are that's very good at buttering me up, but uh, I don't know necessarily that that's true. But <laughs> now I got to hang out with my man. You know, Yeah, you, you oh, sure. Absolutely. Look at how the, the rats leave the ship. As soon as Dave takes vacation, oh, we got to find somewhere else to go here. 
we started this journey together, if you would remember. Yes, no, very, very early on. Late Saturday nights, late sure. Sunday nights. We So we were in the trenches together, my mm-hmm. friend. Before That's you blew true. up and left me and went to, to <laughs> I didn't blow up and leave you, you my verified. friend. You started this off by saying you're verified. I so am. I am up. verified on Twitter. And that's, and that's my point before you got me distracted is that when you've reached a certain status in life, like I have, where you're verified on Twitter with all my cast of dozens of people that follow me, you know what those kind of people are going to do. You, you, can, you can predict because they've reached that status in life where... You can see the, the reasoning behind the moves. They've, they've made smart decisions in life, right? They've gotten to the level that they have. The unverified, the unwashed masses, as I sometimes refer to them, I'm so glad that I can finally get away from them because you don't know what they will do. So we'll see what it goes. Overall, I would say that the voting public, while not vast, has done a fairly decent job. Has done a fairly decent job. But these are tough matchups. Well, is Bobby Boucher versus Benny the Jet really a tough matchup? I don't think that that one's going to be all that close. But Ricky Vaughn, Yvonne Drago, that one might go back and forth. And hopefully, for Ricky Vaughn's sake, he puts up a better fight than Apollo Creed. What would That's you say was the best matchup so far that we've had? Well, the one that we had the other... Uh, to me, l- having Apollo Creed lose to, to, to Shooter McGavin, that one was tough. Because to me, I feel like Shooter McGavin... Uh, is a good character, but Apollo Creed, he, he's an all-time character. He's and, an all-time character. And who would you say has been the biggest surprise so far of the tournament? I, I feel like the major league characters, Willie Mays, Hayes, you know, mm-hmm. a yeah. lot of those guys kind of made a, kind of a Cinderella St. Peter's-like run. So who would you say is the biggest surprise so far? I'm a little surprised Mr. Miyagi's still hanging around. i got to be honest. I did, not, uh, I did not expect that. Now, he was a sixth seed, so it's not that far. But, you know, Major League, that is one of the most beloved movies. It's one of the best movies. You know, it gets, it gets like, looked down upon because it's a comedy. But it's a fan. I mean, it's still very sharp. Now, trying to find audio clips, not as easy. And I recently showed it to my son, who's 14. And, you know, two minutes in, I, you kind of forget how salty some of the language is. But that is a phenomenal movie, start to finish, funny, great characters. And we probably could have squeezed a few more characters in the, the, the field of 64. No Lou Brown, who's fantastic. Tire World. No Lou Brown. Didn't make the field. Got bumped down to the NIT. But, uh, yeah, Major League is a fantastic sports movie. It's one of the best sports movies of all time. And I don't know necessarily they're heroes per se. I guess they are heroes, but um, Clue Haywood, another one, a villain from the movie, and uh, I think that pretty. Quick. I think the only problem that you know Major League has is in ten, twenty years they're going to see the team name and not even recognize it. They're going right. to say this, this is a fictional team. This is a this fictional is team. Real. This isn't the Cleveland Guardians. So right. that's the only problem Major League has. But I'm I'm with you. It's definitely one of the better you know baseball sports movies for sure. Yeah, no, no question, no question. So look, we got uh, we got our elite eight. Rocky, I think, is still by far the the overwhelming. If you went on FanDuel right now, Rocky would be you know minus three hundred, minus four hundred at this point. But you never know. You never know. Now the one thing that he, that Rocky has going for him, no Sopranos in this, and we have found over time, over the years that we've done this show, nothing beats the Sopranos. I've actually said you guys are good on this. Ty and, and Jake, I think that what we should do when this is over, we should have a week, uh, excuse me, a nightly contest, a, a nightly poll question where we put random objects 
up against the Sopranos to see what people, you know, what's better, the Sopranos or puppies? What's better, Sopranos or ice cream? Just to see, and every night, one different member of the crew gets to nominate something for to go up against the Sopranos, and we'll see how many days in a row it will take before that. we can find something that can that. beat the Sopranos. Like Super Bowl Sunday or the Sopranos. Right. I think the funniest thing, too, was last year when we did our tournament, the TV theme throwdown, which the Sopranos won. Terrible. Choice. When you ended up, you know, tweeting out the final results... It said where you like where your location was, and yes. it said North Caldwell, New Jersey. And in my yes. head, I'm like, did Tony Soprano just jack no. Gordon's phone and then tweet this out? But you know, people really do love The Sopranos. It is one of my favorite shows, and I actually just tweeted this out. I'm actually just starting another rewatch of The Sopranos. I don't know if there's just no TV for me to watch, why I always go back to The Sopranos, but I am now on my third rewatch in the last two years. Um, It is such a phenomenal show, but to your point, whenever we put it in any of our polls, no matter what the question is, somehow The Sopranos wins. Yeah, so we'll have to come up with a a, a format for every single night, one per only one, gets to put up something. And whoever actually comes up with it, we should have something of a reward on the staff for whoever comes up with something. I think that it could go months before we concoct some, something of a true contender to go up against the Sopranos because the audience loves the Sopranos that much. I don't I, even think it's doubt. I'm totally with you. All right. Uh, it is ESPN New York tonight. It is Gordon Damer filling in tonight. Uh, flying solo, not filling in. Flowing, I'm usually here, but I'm flying solo tonight, so that is uh, incorrect. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, of course. Um, I wanted to get to, I don't know if people have seen this, but the NFL win total predictions are out for this year, over-unders, as you, you might call them. And uh, I was running through them because, it, and look, you could have a sports talk show on July 4th, and if you led with the NFL that day, you would do pretty well. The NFL is our national religion. There is no offseason when it comes to the NFL. And now, with gambling having a, a bigger impact by the day, who doesn't love finding out some over-unders? And this is really the time where if you are somebody who likes to lay a couple of shekels on, on, on sporting events or on teams in the NFL, this is the time where you might be able to find a little bit of, of wiggle room, right? Sometimes things open up one way, and then the betting goes one way, and then it moves. So this is your time to, to get in on it. And I was going through it, and it, you know, the, most of them seem kind of right on. But there's one team, one team, that to me, if this is even close to where this team winds up this year, it will be an outright disaster. And that team is the New York Jets. The New York Jets... Now, you guys tell me if these are the numbers that you have. But this is the number that I saw. In the AFC, the Jets over-under is five and a half. Five and a half wins? If the Jets are not over five and a half wins, if they don't win six games easy, there is something really wrong. You're going to have two more first-round picks. You have all these draft picks. You've had all these draft picks. You're picking in the top of the draft every single year. You have year two of a quarterback, year two of the head coach. They had the growing pains last year. There has to be, we all admit right now, this year there are expectations. And those expectations are the quarterback has to take a dramatic step forward. So to go and look, and and keep in mind, you might be saying, oh, well, you know, five and a half. You know, there's going to be some teams that are bad. I, I went through it. Unless I'm wrong, 
there's only one team that has a lower over-under total than the Jets, and that's the Houston Texans. The Jaguars are at six and a half, and the Jets are at five and a half. There is absolutely no way the Jets must win. To me, they there's nothing worth. They cannot lower lose a win any lower than seven games. Seven games has to be where they they end up. Anything over than that, well, that's great. But if you're not winning seven games year two and a quarterback, I mean, how much draft capital do you have? Every year I hear about how Joe Douglas is killing it in the offseason. Meanwhile, the, the, the season's dead before we get to, to Halloween. They're loaded with a bunch of young players. They've had a ton of draft picks here. They're going to have more draft picks this year. There is absolutely no way that the Jets are not winning Six games. If they finish at six games, you are going to have to almost automatically have questions about the quarterback. Is he the right guy or the head coach? There has to be something dramatically wrong. Either the coach or the quarterback. Something has to be uh, just jumping off the page at you if the Jets are only going to win six games this year. That would be completely unacceptable. You don't get to go and win six games the last two years that is too slow of a pro- – you want to be making progress, yes, but when you're one of the worst teams in the sport over the last five years, winning only two more games than the year before, that's not – it has to come quicker than this. This is not a seven-year rebuild. There has to be a jump, and it has to come this year. You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast on 98.7 ESPN. The number one seed, Bobby Boucher, the water boy, of course, going up against Benny the Jet Rodriguez. At least so far, water is better than a jet because Bobby Boucher is leading comfortably, but very early on in voting. And then you have uh, Ricky Vaughn and and Yvonne Drago. I almost, I don't want to, um, I don't want to put my finger on the scale and, and tip it one way or the other, but Yvonne Drago is leading right now. Very close. 53-47. But uh, please vote. It is March Movie Mayhem. It is on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. All right, so uh, we've been talking about the Yankees a lot. We've talked about the Mets and the, the news about Jacob deGrom. That's not great. We've gone through the, the over. although I did not give the giant over-under seven. That kind of feels a little high to me, seven. Uh, you just see, and it was funny because today the name Dave Gettleman was trending on Twitter. That, that's when you know you've really done a job. Like, he hasn't been here for a while now. The new GM is in place. But yet, the name Dave Gettleman was still trending on Twitter today because Giant fans know that they want to believe that this idea of they're going to win games while rebuilding, but the previous GM kind of said the same thing. We are the Giants. That they were going to try to win while rebuilding. And if you need an example of how hard that is... Go look at the Knicks. The Knicks are trying to build something and also at the same time win games. Last year it worked okay because it wasn't really building so much as, as it was the people that were already in place were there. This year it has not been the case. And at some point you kind of have to, you can't serve two masters. You have to pick one. Do you want to rebuild or do you want to try to win games right now? So um, this giant situation that Joe Shane has taken over, is very, very difficult. And this year, you've seen it. They, they have no cap space. They got the least amount of cap space of any team in the NFL. And it was all well and good when Joe Shane came in and, and said that they're going to basically you know trim all this cap space down and be able to make some moves. 
But that's what this year is going to be about. It's going to be about taking down all the, the, the wreckage of the, the Dave Gettleman era. And um, you take a look at the, 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 the cap space that all these teams have. I think the Giants still have like under a million dollars. Now, they haven't done anything with James Bradbury yet. I'm, I'm sure that they're still kind of expecting to trade him. And that would kind of alleviate things. But we've already gone through all the different roles that we've seen with, well, they, get, they might trade Saquon Barkley. Who's going to be interested in Saquon? What can they get for Saquon Barkley? The Giants are not trading Saquon Barkley, and it's not from a lack of desire from wanting to trade Saquon. Trading Saquon Barkley would kind of fix a lot of what ills them in terms of the cap. It's a guy that they don't probably have long-term hope. I mean, maybe they have long-term hopes for it. They shouldn't. But that would take that $7 million salary and clear that out, and they could kind of allow them to get into this rebuild a little bit quicker with at least some money. But it's clear the market for injured running backs making $7 million who are looking for long-term contracts next year, there's not a, there's not a great market for that. There's not a great market for that. So uh, it's pretty clear the stories that came out that the Giants have reached out to, to Saquon Barkley to tell him they're not going to trade him. It's because they can't. They can't trade him. Nobody is going to give them anything of value to trade him away. And while that's not a great situation, the real scary thing is, is if he were to come in this year and stay healthy, I feel like that with the Giants and, and the, the loyalty that they show, I, I think that there's at least a good possibility that they would look to work out a long-term contract extension with him. And that really is the worst case scenario to me. Because we've already seen how injury-prone he has been. The running back position is not a position NFL teams use resources on you get a guy you use him up five years down the road if, if, you, if you draft somebody you go and you move on to somebody else teams do not build around that position anymore and unfortunately the Giants not only tried to build around that position they took the most valuable draft pick that they've had and they used it on that position and it was a mistake at the time it was not one of these ones that it takes it's an unknowable question Great sports debates of all time. No, the Giants' decision to draft Saquon Barkley is not one of those great sports debates that we'll never have the answer to. We had the answer at the time, and slowly but surely, people have started to, to grasp, and, and so much so. Remember, when the draft came around, I will tell you, people were calling, and they were adamant. No, you absolutely can take a running back. You should absolutely build around this guy. This guy is special. This guy is going to be a Hall of Fame-type player. It was, at least on the phone calls of shows that I have been on, it was pretty close to 50-50. And that was just a few years ago. So it just tells you how lopsided that argument has turned out to be. That you don't hear people calling up anymore to defend the selection of Saquon Barkley. Nice, nice guy. If he could stay healthy, maybe he might. But it's a position that you just you don't invest resources in so much so you will know that because you will never in our lifetimes we could all live to be a hundred years old we will never see a running back drafted number two ever again it will not happen it will not happen so that was obviously a mistake and the Giants are still paying the paying the cost for that and paying the cost of of a GM that it's going to take almost a full year I think before you can really judge Joe Shane on anything because most of the moves that he's going to make this year, it's just going to be trying to 
to, to do something in, in a positive way where he, he kind of has the handcuffs on because of the previous regime and, and the lack of cap space that they have. It's like buying a plot of land that has an old building on it, and you have to tear down the old building before you can build the new one. And the new building, construction does not start until 2023 if you're a New York Giants fan. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. That brings me to a team that I brought up there in the Knicks and what they do now with Julius Randle because this is not a great situation and this is going to come as some sad news to a lot of you. Are you ready? Tonight, the New York Knicks have been officially eliminated from the playoffs. I know. Uh, you didn't think it was going to happen. You were still holding out hope somewhere. I don't think actually any of that. That's one I don't think, even Nick fans, as delusional as they are, they were not, even they had been resigned to the fact the Knicks were not making the playoffs. New York, we here. Yeah, and you'll be here because the, the playoffs will be going on and you'll, you'll still be right here sitting and watching them with us. So what the Knicks do now do with, with Julius Randle, that is, I guess that's the number one question of the offseason because when you take a look at what Leon Rose has really done here, he's not really built anything yet. Like he has not tipped his hand on what path the Knicks are going to go. Randle was here already. And, and he has been, up until this season, their best player. So most of the big – now, look, they made some, some minor moves. The, the, the Derrick Rose move last year worked fantastic. That was a great move by him. Didn't give up a whole lot. Got a player that came in right away and had an impact. And then you look at this past offseason, as bad an offseason as anyone has ever had. And this is a show that I've mentioned Dave Gettleman. So that tells you what, how, how high up it ranks in terms of bad offseasons. But the Knicks have kind of wanted to – and I think Leon Rose was smart because we've seen other GMs come in here. And no matter what the lay of the land was, they were determined they were going to make the big move. They were going to make the big splash. And it didn't matter about whether or not it was the right move or whether or not the organization was in the position to make that kind of move at that point. They were going to make the big splashy move to get the Knicks back maybe into a playoff spot, maybe into a playoff series they could win, and just, you know, grab a star kind of player. And he has not done that yet. So he actually should be kind of congratulated for not going for the, the fool's gold and, and, and taking the easy route because he could, have, he could have come in here first year and made a whole bunch of splashy moves, and the team, you know, maybe they would have had a, a higher floor, but they would not have had a very high ceiling, and then they would have been kind of either capped out or they would have traded draft picks away and done all these type of things that we've seen countless GMs do before. So I'll, I'll, I'll give Leon Rose some credit for that. But in the process, he's kind of gone the other way. And the moves that he made, I, I get it. He wanted to kind of keep that flexibility where they weren't going full bore on anybody that they weren't really sold on. So they went out and they signed uh, Fournier to a contract, $78 million, four years, which is very, very high. But it's not one of those deals that they can't get out of or can't move if they want to. The Kemba Walker deal, that was only for one year, so it's not something that's going to keep them locked in or anything like that. But this offseason, like the great show Breaking Bad, when Mike Ehrman Trout sits down Walter White and tells him about Jesse, there are no more half measures. At some point, the Knicks have got to make a move. At some point, they've got to, they've got to let us know what direction they're going in. And now... Because of the situation with, with, uh, with Julius Randle, it seems very, very difficult to imagine a scenario where you can bring him back next year 
and he can be a piece that still you kind of build around. We all know he's not the number one player on a championship team or a really good team. He's probably a number three on a really good team. But he's now kind of been surpassed by R.J. Barrett, which is actually good for the Knicks. They need, they need as many good players as they can get. But now with, with the attitude that he has displayed here over the course of the season, not really knowing where that, that, that attitude has come from, but it's been an attitude he's kind of had throughout his career. Last year, again, production-wise was the outlier. Attitude-wise was the outlier. And you had hoped, because of the stories we were told about him getting in the gym and working on his body and, and doing all these types of different things, that he had now turned the page on who he was before, and he was now going to be a different player. Seven years into his career, he's going to completely change the narrative of who Julius Randle is. And, and like uh, any new habit that you start, a lot of times there's fits and starts and you, have, you backslide along the way. And he has certainly backslid hard and so much so it's hard to envision a scenario where the Knicks can be realistic about taking the step forward that they need to next year and still have him on the team. So Leon Rose, who is supposed to be, as the former agent, the guy that's got the finger on the pulse of the NBA and and can tap into information that other teams won't have because of his relationships with players, and maybe he can get something done. This has to be the offseason. Two years in, we, we really don't know that much about Leon Rose's plan. We have not really seen that plan bear any fruit, as good as last year was. He, he deserved all the accolades for making the Derrick Rose move and bringing in Tibbs. But now next year is going to be year three under Tibbs. He does not generally have a long shelf life, and next year has to be the year where the Knicks take a sizable step forward. I'm not saying they have to be the four seed again, but they have to take a sizable step forward so that you know that the people that are running the show actually have a plan, and it's not just about having a plan that's pie in the sky, can actually carry it out. Because if Leon Rose is not able to swing one of these deals because of his relationships with players and, 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 and people around the league, then why is he running the show? That's what, that's what his, it's not about scouting and developing so much. His role is to know about the established stars in the league and who might become available before they really are knowingly available and, and making the, the, the case for why the Knicks are where that guy's got to be. So this is going to be a very interesting offseason and one that you have to almost bet on now that Julius Randle is not going to be still a Nick when it's over. How they move that contract, how they move that player, it, it seems like kind of a depressed asset now. But that's what Leon Rose gets paid the big bucks for, and he's got to get to work. You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast on 98.7 ESPN. And it's funny, we have uh, gotten to this stage of the show. We talked about the Knicks, but we have not talked about the Nets, and the Nets had the uh, game tonight, a loss to Milwaukee in overtime. Uh, as the Bucks beat the Nets 120 to 119, and uh, the Nets fall short tonight. Great game, back and forth, a lot of uh, interesting plays. And and look, for all the problems the Nets have had and all the issues that they've had, people still expect this Nets team to have a deep run in the playoffs. the The expectation level has not re- should not have changed. Uh, when you have two superstars and now with Kyrie back, it's funny with Kyrie back. We now don't talk about the nets at all. <laughs> at least when he was, when they signed line with the mandate, the, the conversation would pop up. But, um, now that he's back and, and playing on a, on a regular basis, we have not talked about the nets nearly as much, but tonight's game was, was fantastic. Durant was fantastic, but they come up short, but this nets team, I mean, again, 
Last year, they led that series against Milwaukee 2-1, and that's when Kyrie went down, I think it was in Game 4, and that's where the tone of the, the, the series changed because it certainly seemed like the Nets were in command of that series. I think they lost Game 4. It was close, like 85-83 or 86-85 or something like that. They lost by just a couple of points. Uh, and then Milwaukee obviously goes on and wins that series and wins the title. But the Nets, now with, with Durant and Kyrie apparently available now all the time, they are still expected. You, you don't get to say, oh, well, you know what? We hit a championship or bust mentality and that's what we were all about. And then, you know, we had to train James Harden, so now we don't have that anymore. No, if, if both those guys are back and playing, they still have to be, and still are. They've never really dropped down as a betting favorite. They, I think they started the season as number one. Now, the Phoenix Suns, because of what they've done, have kind of overtaken them. They are now the, the betting favorite to win the NBA Finals. But the Nets are still only number two. And that brings me to the Harden trade. Have we just resigned to the fact that we're not going to see Ben Simmons this year, right? I, I mean, that's, nobody said that. But it certainly seems like at this point, that's, that's the case. Because at first it was, remember, at first it was, well, can't wait to that February 10th matchup. Nets in Philly, Simmons back in Philadelphia. And then shortly after it was like, well, the Nets probably won't bring him back for that game per se. But then they still had him sitting there and taking the abuse the whole time anyway. But, you know, maybe shortly. That was February 10th. Tomorrow's April and we have not gotten any kind of resolution in any way. We've not gotten really any. It's just like it's just in a holding pattern. And at this point, I guess you'd have to say that he's not going to play this this entire season. I don't think that there's any other way that you can put it. And you just have to wonder, you know, that that trade. I don't think it's going to blow up on the Nets because I don't think the Sixers are going to have any deep playoff run with James Harden. There's no there's no player in the playoffs this year who will have more pressure on him than James Harden. And we, we have seen in the past that has not generally worked out well for James Harden. But Ben Simmons, when that deal was made, there was like, oh, well, you know, this, he gives them the Nets what they don't have. Well, it doesn't seem like he's going to be giving them anything. It seems like that he's just going to be, he's just, again, kind of a mystery, right? Like, it doesn't really seem like he's, he's, there's really any progress. There's not really any updates. It doesn't seem like he's ramping up. And I don't think that you can have a guy miss as much time as he has had, not played this entire season, has not played since last year's playoffs, and then be able to get him ramped up in some short period of time where he's going to be able to play for this year's playoffs. So we'll see what the Nets uh, end up doing. But um, that trade when it was made, it seemed like, okay, they get Ben Simmons and he he will provide them some things uh, in the long term where maybe that deal pays off for them, but... The guy still hasn't played for them, and it doesn't see. It seems like the Nets are as puzzled for, for when he might be ready to go as 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 we all are. Doesn't seem like anybody has really any answers, and I have not seen anything from Steve Nash. You know, usually in that kind of situation, there'd be some expectation of okay, what's the update? When when will we expect a new update? And there's not any talk of that. I haven't even heard of any more like tests. Sometimes you go, well, he had an MRI. He's going to have another MRI. Nothing. Nothing at all. So uh, it certainly seems like whatever run the Nets have in the playoffs this year, it will not uh, include Ben Simmons. You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> 